0: This is the Battle Guerrilla LEGO Podcast, Episode 15, Level Up Your RPG, How LEGO Enhances Tabletop Adventures. The secret title of today's episode is Bricks and Bones. The weekend is coming up, and there's nothing on your schedule. You've got some free time to dedicate to one of your nerd hobbies. You've narrowed it down to either LEGO or a tabletop role-playing game. But which one, you ask yourself? Well, I'm here to quote from a popular internet meme and ask, why not both? Specifically, why not both at once? This week's episode is about integrating LEGO into your role-playing games. The disclaimer. LEGO is a trademark of the LEGO Group of Companies, which does not sponsor, authorize, or endorse this podcast. Are you ready? To listen to the world's number one Lego podcast recorded in my apartment. Podcasting is awesome, especially when it's about the Lego fan scene. Podcasting is awesome. Hey, check out this audio stream. Welcome to the Battle Gorilla Lego podcast. My name is Mike Sneathen. I'm your host. Let's get right into it. Back in February, I pledged money to the 16th Crazy Bricks Kickstarter campaign. This one titled Mimic Bricks. A mimic, as any veteran Dungeons and Dragons player will be able to tell you, is a shape-shifting monster that turns into whatever it thinks will best lure you into its clutches to allow it to attack you. Touching it, Usually adheres you to it as it's sticky with an incredibly powerful adhesive. And if your dungeon master has an appreciation for either tradition or cliche, then the mimic will tend to appear as the one thing no true adventuring dungeoneer can resist a treasure chest. And a LEGO compatible mimic is what Crazy Bricks had on offer this time around. They took the actual LEGO treasure chest, introduced back in 1985 and added some pad printing to enhance some of the detail, like the lock and the metal reinforcement bands. Then they threw in a removable lower palette of very nasty, very sharp-looking teeth, and a monstrous tongue lolling out of the chest. Mm. But that's not all. Also included is an upper palate of even more dangerous sharp-looking teeth. So, you can have just the chest, closed, you can add in the lower pallet and have the chest partially open and an obvious mimic. Or you can add in both upper and lower pallets and then get ready to run, because that chest is open and the mimic is looking to take a bite out of you. This isn't the first time that Crazy Bricks has produced accessories appropriate to fantasy role-playing games. They've done several editions of Bricks of the Mouse Guard, based on David Peterson's award-winning comic book series which have included medieval-style weaponry and equipment, as well as a couple of editions of Munchkin Bricks based on the fantasy collectible card game from Steve Jackson Games that are also chock-full of dungeoneering-type gear for minifigures. If you haven't ever been to their website, you should definitely head over to crazybricks.bigcartel.com and check it out. Hey! Get back here! I meant after you finish listening to this episode. Anyway... The Mimic Bricks Kickstarter campaign ran for two weeks, but it funded in the first 10 hours. I pledged enough for one Mimic. I'd have liked more, but better one Mimic than none. Since then, I've been receiving periodic updates from Crazy Bricks owner slash mastermind Guy Himber in my email, and was recently informed that the factory was getting ready to ship the product to him so that he could start shipping it out to us. It's the day before Halloween as I'm sitting here recording this so by the time you're listening to this episode I might even have my little minifigure scale lego compatible mimic sitting here next to my podcasting setup and with mimic inbound I thought this would be an ideal time for the episode about combining lego with tabletop role playing games within my own personal lexicon of terminology the combination of lego and rpgs has always been bricks and bones which sounds like it should be an entire game system on its own rather than just a simple modification of the two, allowing them to function as one. Bricks and Bones. Bricks, probably obviously, refers to Lego bricks and, by association, any other related Lego elements. Bones is used here as a shortened form of the word knuckle bones, which were the precursor of modern-day dice and were typically made from the ankle bones of sheep and goats and used for children's games, divination, gambling, and who knows what else? Unrecorded prehistoric role-playing games? Possibly. I'm certainly not going to rule that out. So, Lego Bricks and Dice. Bricks and Bones retains that nice alliteration that the role-playing universe seems to like. I could have carried it a step farther. Role-playing games are as much about rule books as they are about dice, so it could have been Bricks, Bones, and Books. But that seemed a little clumsier to me than just Bricks and Bones, so Bricks and Bones it has been. The majority of my personal experience with role-playing games has been either Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, which evolved out of Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition and Edition 3.5. So, for most of the rest of this episode, I will be referring to fantasy role-playing games simply as d 2024 will be the 50th anniversary of D&D. Earlier this year, LEGO Ideas held a contest to design a Dungeons & Dragons set to be released sometime during that anniversary year. So even if nobody had ever thought to use LEGO Elements as part of a D&D game, there is an official connection between the two on its way. Before I jump fully into discussion of D&D, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't at least make mention of Heroica, from 2009 to 2013, LEGO had a product line called LEGO Games that was primarily brick built board games. Among those were six versions of a game called Heroica. Each Heroica game had a subtitle, and the six were Dreda, Ilrion, Nathuz, Fortan, Ganrash, and Waldirk. You could play each game on its own or in combination with any or all of the others. Despite being out of production for a decade now, there is still a small cult following of Heroica fans buying up the microfigures used as game tokens off of Bricklink and designing their own board layouts, sometimes adding in additional rules or creating entire new rule systems for the game. I don't necessarily think of Heroica, certainly not original rules right out of the box Heroica, as a role-playing game, but it is definitely inspired by the hack-and-slash, dungeon-crawl style common to many RPGs. I could also easily see it as a bridge between traditional board games and fantasy RPGs, especially if you're trying to get younger players involved in the hobby. If you'd like, you can go ahead and ask my good close personal friend the internet for content that combines both LEGO and D&D. They will show you all kinds of stuff including some very interesting dice towers. A dice tower is an apparatus used by some of the fancier tabletop role-playing gamers. Generally, these tend to be shaped like a square medieval tower, and instead of just haphazardly throwing a handful of dice at the table like a madman, your handful of dice are instead dropped into the dice tower. The dice then fall down the height of the tower, hitting several slanted panels on their way down before finally rolling out of the hole in the tower's base, which always reminds me of mini-golf for some reason. They roll out into the visible open, contained by an enclosure that keeps the wild ones from rolling completely off the table. I've always kind of wanted a dice tower, and as soon as I saw my first brick-built dice tower, I've since thought, I should definitely build myself one of those. But then I inevitably get distracted by a shiny object, and just never seem to get back to that thought when I can actually do something about it. Having evolved from medieval strategy war games, specifically in the case of D&D, the medieval war game chainmail miniatures are typically an important part of most D&D games. When D&D went from second to third edition, new combat rules were added to that game that made the use of miniatures almost mandatory. The typical D&D miniature is a small lead model of a fantasy character, sold unpainted but usually very conveniently next to a rack of paints and painting supplies in your average game store. Really? You could use anything that basic size to represent your character. One time, I played a heavily armored paladin, and my miniature in that game was a forty-five caliber handgun cartridge with a metal thumbtack stuck into the bullet itself as a helmet. One of the other players in that campaign was a gun enthusiast and just happened to have the bullet in his pocket when we realized I needed a mini. So, the easiest way of integrating LEGO into d and is by using minifigures instead of the more traditional miniatures. If your minifigure collection includes parts from Lord of the Rings and or Hobbit sets, or figures from the Castle Fantasy Era 2007-2009, then you've got lots of potential to build yourself some medieval fantasy characters. There have also been a number of medieval fantasy-style characters throughout the collectible minifigure series, including an orc warrior in the most recent of the non-licensed waves. But even without those specific figures, it's not difficult to put together d and style characters without having fantasy-specific heads, torsos, and legs. And besides it may be more important to capture your character's personality than the specifics of their armor and gear. And keep in mind, the paladin I referenced earlier was represented by a bullet with a thumbtack in it. Almost any minifigure is going to be more accurately representative of your character than my mini was of mine in that campaign. Building yourself a minifigure for your D&D character is going to be a lot like building yourself a sig fig. The main difference being that, if you are building your d and Mini from the point of character creation, you can work around a lack of specific parts by altering the look of your character to fit the available figure components. LEGO currently has four different sizes of minifigure legs, an ever-increasing range of skin tones including colors like blue and green, add-on body parts like wings and tails, and probably other options that have slipped my mind. Is your character human? Easy. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time explaining how to build a minifigure representing a human. For the most part, the same holds true with a half-elf. Elf? Elf? When D&D says elf, they want you to think about Tolkien's elves, not Santa's elves. Santa's elves are what you think about when D&D says gnome, but I'll get to that in a few minutes. Elves are generally about the same height as humans. Fantasy elves tend more toward fair skin than darker skin tones, so standard minifig yellow or light flesh tones if you prefer that route. The main visual difference between humans and elves, at minifigure scale anyway, is going to be the classic elven-pointed ears. And it seems like the majority of the hair pieces with yellow or light flesh-tone pointed ears Are all blonde so be prepared for that on to dwarves dwarves are shorter than humans and elves although not as short as gnomes so plan on using mid legs for your dwarf characters and of course beards beards for the men sometimes beards for the women The dwarven genetics that govern hair growth seem to vary from campaign to campaign, from table to table. The way I see it, if you'd like a nice beard for your lady dwarf character, go for it. If you'd rather she was clean-shaven, then go for that. Gnomes are smaller than dwarves, and like I said, they resemble Santa's elves more often than not, or possibly Keebler elves. And just now my brain started trying to concoct a scenario where an entire adventuring party of Keebler Elves had to engage in battle with a horde of Cookie Monster minifigures. And why am I still awake this late at night again? Where was I? Gnomes! Short legs, pointy hats. Usually, pointy hats that come equipped with pointy ears. And since minifigures tend to be either hat, no hair, or hair, no hat, there's no real need to try and find yourself some quality gnome hair pieces. Stick with the pointy hats, you'll be fine. And then there were orcs, or half-orcs. Either way, you almost have a wider variety of choices in building yourself a minifigure for an orc or half-orc character than you do for a human. You've got the olive green orc warrior I mentioned earlier from a recent collectible minifigure series. You've got various Uruk-hai figures from the Lord of the Rings movies, mostly with either red or gray skin, with or without additional face paint. During the fantasy era of Castle, there were a bunch of minifigures that Lego referred to as trolls, but everybody I know called them orcs. Those guys were sand green. I've seen people using the lime green alien troopers from the Alien Conquest line as orcs. And there are other pseudo-orcs lurking about here and there as well. Pick a normally unnatural skin tone? That part might be for an orc. Orcs often have pointy ears. Half orcs only sometimes. So you can use any hairpiece with pointy ears where the ear color matches their head color or hairpieces with no ears, or just leave them bald. Bald is a fairly common look for orcs. The last of the standard core races is the halfling, or hobbit if you prefer that term, and don't really care that the Tolkien estate once sued the original makers of d d forcing them to change hobbit to halfling, ant to treant, and Balrog to balor in their rulebooks. For halflings, you'll want short legs again. I don't know if there are a lot of short legs that represent bare feet, but halflings aren't really known for a love or even tolerance of shoes. You've also got dragonborn, which are basically human-dragon hybrids, and tieflings, which have a little bit of demon in their family tree. Wings, tails, horns, what have you. Go nuts. During the game, shifting from role-playing to combat mode usually means turning your attention to the battle grid. In traditional, non-LEGO augmented DD, the battle grid is usually a grid with squares large enough to fit a miniature in, often laminated and used with non-permanent markers for reusability. Almost reminiscent of the placemats I remember from chain restaurants of my childhood... Back in the 80s, my battle grid was drawn on a large piece of paper and kept underneath a sheet of glass that we mapped out dungeon walls on. But this is bricks and bones d So instead of a battle mat, why not use a base plate? Regular, extra large, or multiple base plates connected with bricks or plates at the edges... A four stud by four stud square nicely represents a minifigure scale rendition of D&D's ubiquitous five foot square. Covering a base plate in two different colors of four by four plate in an alternating pattern definitely helps with at-a-glance placement and movement of minifigures. Light and dark gray seem like they'd be good choices for a battle grid on a dungeon floor. Black and white or black and red would probably look a little too game boardy but it's your game and we are talking about lego so you can really customize it however you'd like dark purple and bright pink squares sure why not the game's dungeon master would typically draw the walls of the area you're about to fight in on the laminated battle mat but you know what's even better than marker ink bricks you can fairly quickly build a one or two brick high perimeter representing the walls of the dungeon or castle or wherever it is your fight is taking place. Leave gaps for doorways, or just snap in a door frame where that door goes. If your dungeon master thinks that a one or two brick high perimeter is boring, and they've got the time to do a bit of building before the game, Why not just build a full-blown replica of the imaginary space your characters are about to enter? Full-size walls, complete with doors, windows, and other pass-throughs? Furniture? Chests? Barrels? And which one of those three things is the mimic, do you suppose? Who are your opponents in this fight? Humanoid monsters represented by other minifigs? A big fig or two playing giants? Non-humanoid brick-built monsters? A dragon on loan from Ninjago? Or an enraged dinosaur from a Jurassic Park set? The possibilities are limitless. At one of my first BrickCons, there was an a sitting in the castle theme, displaying not just a castle but an actual modular castle-building system. Every time I walked past, he was showing off his mock to enthralled onlookers, building, unbuilding, and then alternately building various architectural castle designs. His modules were mostly built on either 4x8 or 8x8 plates, the ground modules connected with Technic pins, and the modules making up the higher floors had strategically placed gaps in their undersides, which connected with exposed studs on the tops of the modules below. I remember him having balconies and rooftops and fountains and guard towers and all the various castle elements a person would need. The same thing can be done with dungeons or catacombs or ancient ruins. Build and stockpile a bunch of modules... And then on game day, assemble the environment for the current quest. Build your modules according to specific plans that you have for that adventure. Or build generic modules that allow you to randomly lay out a dungeon without even really needing a detailed plan. Back in episode 8, I talked about the possibility of building a Lego city from a medieval fantasy world. Probably a small city or large village. I've refined some of my thoughts about that while preparing to record this episode. I do see some benefit to putting a couple of buildings together in whatever village or city your adventuring group calls home. A base of operations. And probably a tavern. Taverns are important in d and as they serve as gathering points for your medieval fantasy citizens. There are places where you can overhear gossip that leads you towards adventures, and they sell ale. It would be impossible to know how many d and campaigns begin with four strangers encountering one another in a tavern and finding a reason to band together to go on an adventure. But as far as actually building a village, city, or district of a city, I'm no longer thinking minifigure scale. Now I'm leaning more towards micro-scale. Buildings the size of the houses and hotels from Monopoly. A village that can fit on a couple of base plates. Because while your players don't need to know what every building is, they'll occasionally want to know what the building they happen to be walking past at the moment is. Having a brick-built 3D map is helpful in those situations. Two mainstays in most d games are traps and riddles. But you tackle enough traps and they become boring and monotonous. And riddles? Presenting the characters with a riddle they have to solve to disarm a trap or unlock a portal or allow a guard to grant you passage. That means finding an existing riddle and hoping that your players haven't already heard it, but are still capable of figuring out the answer or trying to come up with brand new riddles of your own. Traps and riddles are not my favorite things in the world of d So I say, get rid of them. Replace them with puzzles. Lego puzzles. These could be as complex as hiding a slip of paper containing a clue inside of a brick-built, classic sliding puzzle box. Or as simple as... Here are a dozen or so enchanted blocks. Use them to build a duck to deactivate this fatal trap. Why the nefarious Lord Pantaloons ordered his trapsmith to build a deadly trap that could be disarmed by a model of a duck, I can't begin to explain to you. Just go with it. Or, take inspiration from the creator 3-in-1 sets and present the players with a simple pre-built object instructing them to disassemble it and rebuild it as something else. Medieval fantasy is not the only flavor of role-playing game that exists. There are RPGs set in the Wild West. There are sci-fi RPGs, cyberpunk, steampunk, mecha. RPGs come in all shapes, forms, and genres. Not to mention licensed intellectual properties. Star Trek, Firefly, Call of Cthulhu, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Ghostbusters, Judge Dredd. This list would go on and on and on. But there is one other RPG universe that I would like to single out as a candidate for Bricks and Bones, and that's Star Wars. There have been at least three or four different Star Wars RPGs from various publishers over the years, starting with West End Games all the way back in 1987. And as conducive as LEGO is to D&D, how made for each other are Star Wars RPGs and the 24 years worth of Star Wars sets and minifigures that LEGO have produced? They're closing in on a 1,000 sets and over 1,300 minifigures now. So, Lego and RPGs. Bricks and bones. And we have now come to the end of another episode. Be sure to catch next week's episode when I'll be taking a look at the holiday shopping season as it pertains to Lego fans. The podcast's intro and outro themes, podcasting is awesome, inspired by Tegan and Sarah's Everything is Awesome, an ode to gibberish were created by Michael Reinch. I think I just closed Pandora's box and I want to know if you can punch a sucker how else would you know that I've done everything except any of it. You can have your bald eagle afraid of fire and you can eat it too and there could be so much joy and I want my libido well how else I mean me Wish me luck on the prayers for junk food.